Department of the Dead contains graphic and explicit content that may not be appropriate for some listeners. Opinions and views do not reflect that of the Department of Defense. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Department of the Dead. I'm Amanda. And it's Thought. And this week, um, we are going to be talking about Fort Polk and some of the spooky stuff that's happened there. We've got a few stories for you guys, and hopefully you'll learn a little bit of stuff from this research I was able to do. Um, This was a little bit hard, though, just considering... The topic we wanted to go in the direction of, I think, like with the box witch. But there's just a bunch of like creepy things that happen around there. So hopefully with this background, it'll maybe make sense as to why some of this stuff is happening in that area. All right. Let's dive into it. Dive into it. Um, How was your weekend? forgot to ask about that. (laughs) Fine. Uh, Just hung out and golfed a bunch. But that's about it. And I'm terrible, so it takes like half a day. Yeah, I've never gone golfing. I've only done driving ranges and putt-putt. And I just don't think I have the patience for it. I love mini golf, so putt-putt's the best. It's, I don't know, it's fun. I like being outside and drinking and driving the golf cart. <laughs> and if I suck, I, I suck, but I mean, I, I'm new to too. Like, I just started this year, so. Uh, I enjoy it. It's a hobby that gets you out of the house. Yeah, old man hobby. You should get like, I mean, do you do you do like the whole like polo and visor combo? Yeah, I have a. I, I'll go to like Goodwill and get like sweet like fucking old man golf clothes. <laughs> so I'm all. I got some good swag out there. Yeah, I can't say I went golfing. My weekend was pretty low key. Uh, just picked tree up today from. He just got back from training last week, so while he was gone, I had to take the animals to the vet, so that was an adventure, and then when I took the cats to their appointment, I I also had staff duty, and so I had to have something that covered down for me because the major who I was relieving, like, wouldn't let me go, like, unless I had somebody there, like, covering, it was weird, she's like, well, you can't go off post, I'm like, fine, got somebody to cover down, and I was at the vet. And found out that the the animal or the cats had fleas. What really? I'm like, how? They're indoor cats. I mean, Daisy, she's got a flea collar, so she didn't have any fleas when she went. But like, I have staff duty. I have to get back and relieve like the officer that's there. Yeah. And meanwhile, I have to debug my house oh, with no. like this powder that the vet gave me, and I'm just thinking, you've got to be shitting me. And I had to let our uh, our friend who was watching the animals that night because Tree was gone. I was like, hey, like the powder that's all over the house is not toxic, but just so you're aware. <laughs> and yeah, it was it was fun. I spent the whole next day cleaning so much powder, <laughs> but we're good now. You guys are good. Cats we're, are good. We're good. I was so stressed. I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> Zoinks. Yeah, but they did good at their bed. Appointment. Okay, anyway, so that was uh, my little life update. Well, I'm glad you had a good weekend, though, besides that. 
All right. Well, without further ado, hopefully you learn a couple things from my Fort Polk research. Okay. So in the background, just for people who are not military, Fort Polk is an army installation located in Vernon Parish, approximately 10 miles east of Leesville, Louisiana, and 30 miles north of DeRitter in the Beauregard Parish of Louisiana. So way back in the day, Fort Polk and the surrounding area was home to no man's land. So before the Louisiana purchased the boundaries of the Spanish and French territories had never been formally established. The boundaries had been drawn and they were uh, they came to a gentleman's agreement between the Spanish commander slash president and the French commandant. And then three years after the Louisiana purchase, Spain's hold on the present day East Texas was tenuous and the Americans were moving in. So the solution was just to put some land between the powerhouses. So U.S. Army General James Wilkinson and Spanish Lieutenant Colonel Simon de Herrera agreed to keep Spain west of the Sabine River while the Americans would respect the boundary established by the French and the Spanish decades before. Neither Spain nor the U.S. had control of the region, though, so renegades moved in, creating a lawless haven for squatters, runaway slaves, army deserters, and thieves. So I kind of put a picture up there, but it, you can imagine like the kind of debauchery that happened in that region. Yeah. So, but yeah, it, Fort Polk was... You can kind of zoom in on the map, but yeah, I'll have that up on the, the Instagram. And Alrighty. so there, I had to look up for uh, a training map of Fort Polk. So just to kind of give people an idea, the easternmost boundary is Louisiana Highway 163 between Little Bushy Creek and Big Bushy Creek. The westernmost boundary being between Highway 184 and Highway 171. The southern ba- Boundary being Pitkin Highway into the north, you have Alexandra Highway and Highway 121. That means nothing to anyone unless they're looking at a map, so I'm just going to put that on the Instagram. But that's just where it is. Um, and so it was named in honor of Right Reverend Leonidas Polk, a bishop and Confederate general of the American Civil War. The post encompasses about 198,000 acres. 100,000 acres are owned by the Department of the Army and 98. 1,125 acres are owned by the U.S. Forest Service, mostly the Kisachi National Forest. And so part of the JRTC training area is in that forest region. Yeah. So kind of like looking up a little bit about the Kisachi Forest, There, it's got a lot of dark history. Um, I didn't get too much into that, but just kind of want to give a background of Fort Polk during World War II because I thought this stuff was pretty, pretty interesting. So... During World War II, Fort Polk began as a base for the Louisiana Maneuvers in the 1940s, known as Camp Polk. As the U.S. involvement in World War II became more likely, the Army recognized the need to modernize the service, but also needed large-scale maneuvers to test a fast-growing and experienced force. That's where Fort Polk and the Louisiana Maneuvers came in, focusing on the ability to defeat, to defeat blitzkrieg tactics and the large number of German tanks attacking narrow areas. Enter the tank destroyer. Highly mobile guns were... It held in reserve until friendly forces were attacked by enemy tanks. The tank destroyers rapidly deployed to the flanks of the penetration and employed highly aggressive hit-and-run tactics. And following the war, the battalions were disbanded, and the anti-tank role was taken over by the infantry, engineer, and armor branches. It's got a really rich history. It was literally running down the list of, like, all these units that, like, came from there. I'm like, I- I'm not going to remember this. So just pointing it out, it's got a rich history, but right now it's home to the JRTC or the Joint Readiness Training Center, the 3rd Brigade Combat Team, 10th Mountain Division, 
the 115th Combat Hospital Support Hospital and U.S. Army Garrison and Bain Jones Army Community Hospital. This was a little bit about the German POWs, though. So during World War II, Camp Polk served as a military prison for German prisoners of war or POWs. And the first of the POWs arrived in July 1943 from the Africa Corps. And they were held in a large fenced-in compound in the present-day Fort Polk's parade ground honor field. And what was kind of funny was, like, the hot Louisiana summer definitely just, like, broke the spirits of these German POWs. Yeah. <laughs> Think about like they're coming from Germany and then just bum fuck middle of nowhere, Louisiana. Yeah, they're probably like, where the fuck am I? Have you ever been to JRTC? I have not. I've only been to NTC and I was there twice, but I'm kind of glad I didn't have to go to JRTC. Yeah, it's it's whack. It's definitely different than NTC, but I'll be going there again in a few months, unfortunately. Just so. thinking of the German POWs. Oh, Hans is so hot. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Oh, poor Hans. <laughs> poor Hans. Uh, American soldiers essentially just didn't like the fact that the Germans were there, but they understood the reason why they brought them over, because if they kept them at the European prison camps, there was a likelihood of them escaping, and it was just like a waste of time, resource, money, to keep sending supplies over to those POWs overseas. So instead of just like the cost of the supplies going over there, all they did was just pile on all these POWs and ship them off to Louisiana. So it doesn't really say what, what happened to poor Hans after the war was over. Um, oh. I'm sure he probably fled to Brazil or something. Yeah, Argentina, wherever the fuck they all went. Yeah, poor somewhere like But it says that the German POWs picked cotton, cut rice, and cut lumber. And they also helped sandbag the raging Red River in the summer of 1944. The prisoners weren't yes. forced. I mean, like, it, they weren't forced to work, though. Uh, and some refused to work. But if they did work... They could earn money to spend at the commissary in the PX, which I'm like, doesn't seem that bad. I mean, you know, it's like for being a war prisoner, like it seems like a good gig, you know? Yeah, they it says that they would buy like toothpaste and snacks at the PX. Toothpaste and cigarettes. (laughs) Yeah. So, So I was just asking one of my old NCOs. Remember? Uh, Bobby Boucher. He did the water uh, boy impression really, really well because he's from Louisiana. I don't. Oh, shit. Sure. All right. Go on. Keep going. It's okay. So anyway, he, I asked him, I was like, hey, do you know anything about, you know, the area of JRTC and like the box switch? And he's like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's he said that there was um, a strip of land that he said that locals would not go to because, like, there was a history of, like, he says history, I think it's more lore of, like, voodoo and black magic and devil worshipping. And, like, Ooh. some really spooky things happen, like, out there. So he said it was next to Camp Claiborne. So okay. did a little research on Camp Claiborne and other dark shit happened there. Not voodoo or dark magic, but, like, other, like, morbid shit happened. So... You said it was that strip of lands next to Claiborne? Yeah. So I also included on the map, like, where Camp Claiborne was. It's to the east of the JRTC area. Um, it's south of the Alexandra Army Air Base, the EAFB. Um, okay. There's uh, Alexandria, uh, like, the big city that's in Louisiana. Like, it's south of that. So Camp Claiborne actually was established in June 10th of 1930, and it was called Camp Evangeline. And that just reminded me of uh, the princess and the frog and how he was in love with the moon. 
what are we what are we drinking today? Uh, this is uh, this is be my my only alcoholic beverage for today, but it is tequila and sparkling water. Hell yeah, good approved. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so Camp Evangeline was named after the Evangeline District of the Kisachi National Forest and was later renamed um, after the governor, the first governor of Louisiana, uh, William C. C. Claiborne. From 1939 to 1946, over half a million men went through Camp Claiborne, and that camp was mainly used for basic training and artillery practice, which uh, included the nearby Wind District Kisachi Precision Bombing Range. This was actually where the black soldiers would do their basic training and train. You know how we had like the segregated armies back in the right. day. That's it, it was a essentially a black camp. But huh. interesting. Where, and fun fact: uh, Jackie Robinson he did a warfighter exercise as a tank commander without knowing how to be a tank commander because he was actually a morale officer. Morale was, officer. I, I didn't know he he uh, he was like one of the few that actually uh, few of the black uh, men that got through to OCS. It was like they didn't want. It, it, I mean, segregation back then, even still today, but like back then, that was like really hard to get an OCS packet like sent through. But he did it. Um, but yeah, he was. They were like, "Okay, you're gonna be a tank commander," and he's like, "I have no idea how to be a tank commander." <laughs> yeah. And so he basically was. Uh, he told the men that he was supposed to like lead in that company. He's like, "Hey guys, I have no idea what I'm doing," and he asked his men if they would help him learn along the way. And what ended up happening was his company performed the best out of all of them during that exercise. Okay. So, good job, Jackie. Good job, Jackie. Okay, so in 1941, prior to the United States declaring war, the camp was used as part of the Louisiana maneuvers, same as above. And yeah, the basically Camp Claiborne and like Camp Polk were used as JRTC before JRTC was a thing. Yeah. And I was like, huh, that's, that's kind of neat. Yeah, they would have two armies facing each other across the Red River. It's about 3,400 square miles of land, and part of which was in East Texas. So. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, it says that many of the men, like the ones from the 34th Infantry Division, were from Iowa, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wisconsin. So <laughs> they had never been to the South, and not only did they have to get used to basic training there, they had to get used to the climate of Louisiana. And it just, I mean, coming from the North, going to the South, like back then without air conditioning, Oh, yeah, dude, it's oh. fucking brutal. So, yeah, but the camp was deactivated in 1945. It returned to the Kisachi National Forest and part of the National Forest System administered by the U.S. Forest Service. Okay, so background to that out of the way, now into the dark shit. The Camp Claiborne and the surrounding area dark history. In 1944, Rollins Edwards, have you ever heard of him? No. Okay, so Roland Ed- Rollins Edwards was a 22-year-old Army recruit serving at Camp Claiborne in Louisiana. Just for context... He was black. So during World War II, the Pentagon was using chemical weapon mustard gas on its own soldiers in secret experiments, both at home and abroad. Without an explanation of what the mustard gas was, Edwards was directed by his superiors to repeatedly expose his entire body to the toxic gas. The tests also divided service members by race, with Rollins recently telling the National Public Radio or NPR they said that they were testing to see what effect these gases would have on black skins. It's fucked wow. up. Yeah. Holy so, shit. yeah, I I have pictures that I'll I'll post on Instagram too, but like it's there there is a photo. I mean, if if you want to look at it too, it's um it's on page five. But I'll bring it up. okay, I'll wait. Just so you're aware, there's a jar. A jar. There's a jar. <laughs> 
So now that you're on page five, uh, yes, this is Roland's Edwards. Top picture is him now. Uh, you can see like the scarring he's got on his arms. On the picture to the right, that's him when he was a young, sprightly 22-year-old uh, mm-hmm. without the knowledge that his own government was going to gas him. And then the bottom uh, left is a close-up of the arm and then all of that that looks like mushrooms or something. That's skin. Ooh. Yeah. Just a mason jar of skin? A mason, I'm sure that's one of many mason jars of skin. But Oh, my Lord. I mean, I, I'm like, what is it doing in a mason jar, first of all? Because it's... Yeah. I'm, I'm like, what? that doesn't what? seem very scientific. Why is he saving it? And it's a cherry jar, too, if you zoom in on the lid. Oh, is it's it? Real, <laughs> real oh, cherries. Those aren't cherry. Oh. God, God damn it, Edwards. Uh, but I know, God damn the government for doing that shit. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the but, government. I mean, that's... That is so yeah. fucked up. Yeah, but it's it's like thinking of what our military has like subjected people to in the past. And, like, we're still fighting that today with the burn pits. Yeah. Ugh, it's it's fucked up. Yeah, I but, don't think much has changed besides the experiments. Maybe a little more, maybe a little more subtle on us. Well, to still go along the lines of fucked up shit. So Edward suffered severe burns and other debilitating lifelong injuries. He was fo- he was offered no specific follow up care in the aftermath of the experiments and was sworn to secrecy after threats from superior officers. Edwards was in the loan. About sixty thousand members. Uh, were also subjected to these experiments, and at least several thousand men received the same type of full-body exposure as Edwards. The United States declassified these experiments in 1993, letting the public know for the first time what these soldiers endured. And Congress instructed the Department of Veterans Affairs to identify and locate victims of the experiments and inform them they were eligible for compensation. In 1993, like, it took them, I'm trying to do math here in my head, it's really hard, but it took decades for them to actually finally be compensated for these injuries. Most of these yeah. guys are probably dead. Yeah, from, I was going to say they're they're probably dead. Yeah. So 56, 50 into, years? Yeah, about yeah, about 50 years, half a century. And then it's like, "Oops, our bad." My bad. I I can't even think that the the compensation would have been even that great, maybe. I don't know. Like what's the percentage you could get? Oh, that, that that's about 40%. Yeah, that's 40% worth even though you're dead, but mm-hmm. fuck it. Here's a here's a sandwich. Ugh. Okay. okay. So bear with me. I'm almost done. So the next dark thing that happened is the Lee, Lee Street Massacre. About a month after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, black soldiers from Camp Claiborne in central Louisiana were, went down to the town of Alexandria on Saturday, January 10th, 1942 for some R&R. Most of the soldiers were from the north, and on that night, a black soldier supposedly stepped in front of a car driven by a white woman. The woman called the police, and the shooting started. Another narrative is a white MP beat a black soldier in front of the Ritz movie theater and a crowd reacted, protesting the beating. Lee Street was, as a recent marker erected to remember the massacre indicates, a thriving black community in the 1940s. These areas included churches, eating establishments, grocery stores, entertainment venues, a sporting arena, an army, YMCA, USA building, and a Ritz theater. The neighborhood was akin in many ways to Greenwood, while the initial spark for the massacre came from a black man, quote, disrespecting a white woman and, quote, not knowing his place. The underlying context runs much deeper. Thinking about the prosperity of Lee Street and the black community where they thrived, countering white perceptions and their feelings of superiority as well. Whites would also view the northern soldiers as invaders, not knowing their place in the social hierarchy of Jim Crow. 
Around two to 3,000 blacks were on the Lee Street that night, and the black soldiers were not armed. About 90 white police, both local and state, descended on Lee Street in attempts to quell the unrest and shot blindly into the crowd. As the Bayou Brief notes, 60 of the 90 officers who responded were military police. The local newspaper reported that the officers used about 30 gas bombs that night on Lee Street. We do not know how many blacks were murdered that night. Uh, estimates were around 20 people. However, countless civilians were murdered or wounded. The U.S. military claimed that no one died that night on Lee Street, cordoning off the area and suppressing any narrative to the contrary. At this time, we don't even know how many people actually died that night. And there was, there was an anonymous letter appeared in which indicated a mass grave was at the Holly Oak Cemetery, a black cemetery established in 1923 in Pinesville, a city near Alexandria. Mike Wynn led a team to the map of the cemetery to determine if there was a grave there. At the time, they don't know because they would have to exhume the spots that they identified, and that created further issues. So there was a mass grave dug for people who died that night. What the fuck? <laughs> the things we don't learn in our, like, U.S. history slash social studies classes. Oh, yeah. It, it's, yeah. <sighs> uh, That's interesting. But it's like, oh, there's hauntings and stuff around this area. Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. It's always the fucking government and white people fucking it all up. Yeah, it, well, it's so when I talk to my NCO, he's like, oh, it has a lot to, in that area has a lot to do with voodoo, dark magic, um, devil worshippers. I'm just like, well, voodoo is kind of more or less commercialized in at least New Orleans, but it's kind of, to me, it kind of sounds like a cop out slash blaming, kind of like subverting the blame as to why it's haunted, as opposed to people were killed, people were gassed. That's probably why there's a bunch of negative energy in that area. Yeah. So, yeah, lots of lots of negative energy. Yeah. So now that we're done with the history, I was on Reddit just trying to find something about the box witch mm -hmm. uh, in the JRTC training area. I could not find a whole lot at all. I was even like, I was Googling saying what the local legends were like voodoo, dark magic, devil worshiping, witches, hauntings, and there's like... Everything in that category is like down in New Orleans. But I found at least this excerpt from Reddit, so I'm going to read this. Uh, quote, I know this is about a month old, but I was in OCT down at Polk from 2015 to 2017, and I've done a few rotations as an RTU. Here's a story that was told to me by a few of the locals who spent at least a decade in the box and who were, or who had grown up in the area. The box which is allegedly the ghost of a young woman who lived around Smithtown, a few hundred meters west of what is now Dara Lam in the box. Uh, during Louisiana maneuvers. Just a trigger warning right now. Uh, at some point, the army was around there and they were doing their thing. Five soldiers came across her, the woman. They raped and murdered her and hid her body. She has been oh, seen God. around the wood line in Dara Lam and apparently uh, sounds like some kind of wild cat. And it's been a long time, he says, it's been a long time since I thought about it and I can't remember which one. What? Like, I'm not laughing because this is funny. I'm just like nervous laughing because I'm like, this is, I mean, there's there's no like, official record of anything like that happening but i i, I don't know what to think it's just yeah even just yeah like leading up to it like oh hey there's a woman let's fucking rape and murder her i i mean Ugh. yeah there, it doesn't say when that happened so i mean it could have been like ages and ages ago could have been recent i don't know it doesn't really say and that's all i could really find on reddit for the box switch gotcha. um 
I think the box witch is kind of used as like a blanket term for like weird shit that happens, like Bigfoot entities, like what Tails told us about, like the pine cones right. being thrown could be like a, a version of a skinwalker, like a Wendigo or a rake. At, we'll we'll get into more of that when we go over one of those episodes. But yeah, I think I think it's kind of just used as a blanket term. This is the only official thing that I've seen with there's actually a woman who died. Yeah. Right. So lastly is a poem about Camp Claiborne that I found. And this is spooky. So hopefully you like it. I'm hopefully reading along. <laughs> okay. All right, so down on, what page is this? Whatever. Okay. Of a coven that opened a portal to hell, they dwelt in Camp Claiborne, far back in the woods. All hid their faces beneath mastion hoods. Camp Claiborne is evil, its soil now attained, its buildings of concrete with blood once were painted. And yet, my dear reader, you should know, that is an inception of the camp wasn't so. In the wake of Pearl Harbor, the camp was erected, but it would come to, uh, none could have suspected, they use it to ready young soldiers for war. They train to perfection and then train some more. But once the war ended and peace was declared, the camp was deserted and in disrepair. In time, most forgot it had even existed until a cult used it for purposes twisted. It started with pets that began disappearing, and deep in the woods, people soon began hearing. It sounded like chanting or screams filled with pain and cackles of laughter that sounded insane. At first, these reports with great scorn were discounted, for no one imagined what they amounted. They could not imagine, the thought wasn't born, that evil had moved into old Camp Claiborne. But then something happened that silenced the scorning when late September, the reverend one morning, was greeted by something that made his heart lurch, vile symbols and blood on the doors of his church. Oh, I got chills. <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> uh. Okay. <laughs> then we got a little bit to go. The townsfolk thereafter were helpless with fear of people unseen who sowed darkness and drear. The pets went missing, began to be found as dismembered pieces left lying around. Okay, I would fucking murder that cult if they came after my animals. It just, yes. I, blood. That's where we draw the line. <laughs> that is where, that's where we draw the line. <sighs> okay. The sheriff was helpless as deputy too, for no one was able to give them a clue. No one suspects, no suspects were questioned, no leads were collected. But then something happened that no one expected. A young girl came forward so she could relate how she barely avoided a miserable fate. She told about how strangers, both violent and cruel, had tried to abduct her one day after school. They tried to manhandle me into their van, but I, when I kicked one, he let go and I ran. I fled for my life. I heard one of them scream, get back to Camp Claiborne before we're all seen. Okay, that was a, I, when I read this part in the poem, I was like, why would you tell, why would you say where you're going? Like, yeah. Oh, bad, no. <laughs> bad criminal. Bad, bad criminal. <clears throat> now, this was the breakthrough the sheriff had needed. So word was put out and the call to arms heated. The townsfolk abandoned their couches and porches, assembling at nightfall with rifles and torches. But nothing prepared them for what they would see at Camp Claiborne's ruins far back in the trees. The sight of it made even the hardened men bolt. The place was now home to an unholy cult. They built altars of bone of abominable rite, animal heads they impaled upon spikes. They carved wooden idols impossibly tall, and in Claiborne's black heart was the worst sight of all. Fresh blood, the cultists a circle had been, oh my god. With fresh blood, the cultists a circle had made of symbols that marked out the place where they prayed. What those evil glyphs meant wasn't easy to tell. 
but some whisper they opened a portal to hell. In the end of the circle, a bonfire blazed, and all around it, the cult were chanting in praise. They tried vainly to flee, but were quickly surrounded and led off in handcuffs with their faces confounded. But so vile was their worship, so sick and profane, the townsfolk decided no trace should remain. They tore the camp down to its very foundations, destroying all trace of the cult's aberrations. No sign of Camp Claiborne is standing today, but those woods are off limits, some locals still say. They whisper a phantom lights glimpse through the trees and devilish laughter that makes your blood freeze. And the reason for this, what they grimly suppose, is the door the cult opened was never quite closed. Well, that's a, that was a really good poem. And it's like a good... That, that backs push. up what my NCO was saying. It's like the locals like won't go to this area. That backs up a lot of the things that like you covered that whole that whole poem. Thank you. I so this is the end of, end of my research. Thank you. <laughs> this wasn't as long as what I thought it was going to be with my research. I'm like, oh shit, I don't want it to be too long because I know that you're you had a long day of golfing and I don't. Yeah, but ah, oh, oh, nothing really funny came out of this. <laughs> no. No. This is just uh, this is just depressing. Just very. Yeah, it's got a lot of negative memories that are trapped in this location. And I'm not saying that there was, like, this with the cult. Like, I I don't know how true this is. I wasn't able to find, like, any police reports or, like, anything talking about this. And that's, I mean, I'm not saying I think it's true. But if something like this were to have happened, I don't foresee, especially an area that's very, like, religious, would want to put that out there. Because then you have people that try to, you know, they have copycat crimes. Um, It's like the more you talk about it, the more evil that comes into the area. So they they probably just never reported it if it did happen. Yeah. Were Did humans ever go missing or is it just mainly, like, animals? Um, I believe some people also went missing too. Well, yeah, I guess they tried kidnapping that girl. Yeah. Shit. People. I know. You don't fuck with pets. You don't fuck with pets. And that's like serial killer number, like number one is messing with animals. But true that. Well, who would have known the the gate to hell would have been in Louisiana? I'm. <laughs> well, I haven't been. I've only driven through Louisiana. Mississippi's definitely worse though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really sorry if anybody's actually from these locations, but I, I just don't. I'm not Shrek. I don't want to live in a swamp. I'm not Shrek. <laughs> uh, he had a nice swamp, though. He did have a nice. Yeah. If, yeah. <laughs> no, no mention of ogres, though, during my research. Not yet. Not yet. Um, okay. Well, we actually had somebody write in to talk about their JRTC experience. I haven't read it. I have it here. Okay. And so it's like a two-parter. So I'll uh, I'll read the first one. All right. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right. So this was sent in from an anonymous uh, follower, and he had a few stories. So the first one, he said, "I was a platoon lead. I, I was a new platoon leader, a butter bar. I was stationed at Polk, and my platoon was tasked with supporting JRTC rotation with comms retransmission. My platoon sergeant was also new to that role as an E6. We put two two E2s on a retrans site and left them there. One looked like he was on a commercial for the Aryan race, and the other was an inner city kid. <laughs> <laughs> we got busy. <laughs> so one, one was good, like, <laughs> I don't think that's sunscreen. necessary to put in, but all right, we'll have a good, good depiction of them in my head. Uh, we got busy and forgot them out there for five days. 
when we realized we both went out there and found that the inner city kid had combat locked himself inside the Humvee. Then we found out why. The Aryan kid was totally naked with a raccoon hat. He skinned from one he killed with a BB gun, brought it in his rucksack. Thankfully, we relieved them, but the Sergeant Major went poking around. Uh, also... Hold on. Hold on. Hold the fuck up. What? Yeah. uh... (laughs) Like... He okay. Actually, now that I think about it, he does. I'm not saying it makes sense, but I'm like thinking when you fly normally on an airline, like you, you can't bring a BB gun. I wouldn't think. No, no, definitely not. Unless he, unless he got it from. Yeah, that's a good question. No, I, I don't think that they would have checked the bags because, like, they probably you know outsource. They uh, how you know how we yeah. when we go like we don't have you. Know, there's no TSA when we go through. To get no, on these green, du- green duffel bags, weigh oh, them, and throw them in the... Well, all right, I'm bringing oh. a BB gun with me next time. Um, oh, my God. second... <laughs> the poor kid in the Humvee. The, yeah, the poor inner city kid. He's like, oh, my God. Fucking, Fucking white people. <laughs> the Aryan race kid. Um, right, this one's... All right. So his second story, he also had an O one buddy that got an Article fifteen for sliding an RD sim under another lieutenant. While he was out in the Port of John, they were on shipping crates. He came out smoking with his dick out, grabbing his ears and rolling on the ground. Worth it. So I I honestly haven't read this. I assumed it was gonna be like botch box switch related. Uh but those are just two <laughs> those are two JRTC stories, Do I you- guess. Do you think that the one kid with the BB gun maybe was like possessed? Yeah, we let's run with that. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I I mean, the other guy like locked himself in the Humvee, obviously knowing that he was in danger because the other guy was just he skinned a raccoon. He was totally naked with a raccoon hat that he had skinned from when he killed with a BB gun. Naked. Uh, yeah, naked. Completely <laughs> naked. I'd be, I'd be hiding too. <laughs> what would you do? If you rolled up on that, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't even know. I don't even know how to start this counseling statement. <laughs> Do you blame them though? I mean, oh, they're they're left out there for five days too. That sucks. This is like some Lord of the Flies shit. It's not the first time I've heard. Like a few of my friends I work with have like been like the lost platoon out there, where like they were just out there for like a week at a time without like any support, and they would just like have to like kill snakes and shit so i forgot that we had one more story and it is creepy related that was submitted yes please so that'll be whatever the hell we just read well that'll be that (laughs) whatever that was yeah all right all right so this was sent in from a friend um i sent this to you too amanda uh i think i sent you screenshots of it but so haven't read it the j-cop uh it's a shitty op in the shittiest op in the army Got a little weird one night. We pulled up to the OP, dug in, set up all of our targeting equipment, radio, set the FEC truck up, and got digital up. Got with mortars and got their range fans started, finding targets in the safety box, did registration, all that nerdy fire support stuff. Later that night, the Joes and FSOs went to sleep by the FEC truck. I stayed on the hill with all the SI. All day that day, I kept bringing up the box switch. Everyone at the OP was either a PFC or a second lieutenant, and the person submitting it is a staff sergeant. Okay. You know to get their minds wandering and freak them out a little. I settled into my ranger grave. It's windy and like 26 degrees. As soon as I got into my fart sack and wrapped my whoopee around my legs and laid my head down, I heard what sounded like Native American flute Native American flute music maybe 100 meters directly in front of my OP. I grabbed my night vision and saw nothing. 
slid back down into my ranger grave and heard it again. Flicked on our la- our laser, and there was nothing on thermals. And uh, it was just a bunch of, like, the uh, empty trucks. And, all, oh, sorry, all those trucks are, like, 400 to 600 meters away, and the wind wasn't blowing hard enough for it to, to be that close sounding. It just said, nope, and went to bed. And then he sent in a video of, uh, it, well, it's not, no, sorry, I, Sorry. Dang it, I was gonna be so excited. I was like, I can just see the box image. No. It's like uh it's a Spotify screenshot of like the flute, the music it sounded like. <laughs> Less exciting. Oh. Um but yeah. So we got Native American flutes now entering the box witch portal the hell scenario we got going here. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm thinking if I were if I were a ghost haunting you know just just decide to like fuck with whoever's out there like these soldiers just whatever i i'm just thinking of like playing a recorder just the creepy hot cross buns <laughs> <laughs> that'd be amazing <laughs> just on repeat <clears throat> make it stop please <laughs> no more PTSD from hearing that. Yeah, kid comes keep... home with the recorder. Look what I learned at JRTC. Just put the speaker high up in like a tree so that they can't get it. I've, I've thought about this too. Obviously, I'm not going to do this now because I'm in the process of getting out of the army. But when I was younger, in my formative years, I wish I would have bought an, Ad, an Aztec death whistle. And what is that? It's Oh, I'll have, to, I'll have to send you, like, clips of it. But it's basically was used by the Aztecs, and it was part of, like, cycle. They actually used it in Vietnam, too, to kind of fuck with uh, the enemy. But when you blow into this whistle, it sounds like a woman screaming. What? Yeah. It's like, it and was... And it's, it's supposed to sound like that? Yeah. It, 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 what they would use it for was, like, the, their enemies, like, to try to freak their enemies out, like, thinking that there was a ghost in the area, and just scare them off. And they... Mm. They used that tactic in the Vietnam War, and I was like, "That's that's dope. <laughs> I would do that." Yeah. yeah, that's that's a good idea. That's creepy as fuck, though. I you should try it and then report back. Yeah, I'll get, I'll, I'll, I'll get I'll on I'll send it. you. I'll send you a, an Aztec death whistle. Do they have Aztec death whistles on Amazon by any chance? I think so. Hold on, real quick. I got Amazon. That's like one of my first things that got pulled up on my phone because yeah. I I have a problem. And, uh, <laughs> um, Aztec. Oh fuck yeah! They got Oh yes, they do. Oh, that was cool. Yeah. I will be going on Amazon right now. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> do they have like different tones of screams um, of women's? Sc- I think you probably have to look on the video reviews. They probably <laughs> have the sound. <laughs> There was um I, I made a meme about this like forever ago, but it was uh the it was a post I think on Reddit and it was like the, this guy like heard gunshots outside his house. He goes out to like kind of investigate what's going on, and it was his neighbor just shooting off into the sky. He's like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "I'm trying to keep our property taxes low." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so I was like, "Oh, Brilliant. why not <laughs> just blow an Aztec death whistle in your backyard?" Yeah, like every every weekend. Oh my god! Some poor woman's getting murdered. It's just me in my kitchen with a whistle. These are scary looking. They're cool. I I I kind of want one. I have an Amazon gift card. I might get myself one. Holy shit! What are you doing? Pissing off the HOA? What do you think I'm doing? 
It's just me casually just drinking a beer and blowing into my whistle. <laughs> and then, do you like hot cross buns? <laughs> you got to have one or the other. <laughs> Alternate it. <laughs> I hate this neighborhood. <laughs> what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> Some poor, like, neighborhood watch, like, Facebook page is just... Just, ter- oh. just terif- terrified. Oh, my God. That's, that's funny. <laughs> um, So I wasn't going to read this, but I do want to encourage people to write in a little bit more. So this will be the last thing that I read. I promise. But we had another person write in uh, a story. It's it's not Boxwish or JRTC related, but they really liked our Skinwalker episode. So That's a the, good t- one. the title is, Am I a Darn Skinwalker? All right, guys, please keep my name anonymous. First, let me start by saying I wouldn't be submitting this story if it weren't for a glass and a half or technically four glasses if you go by the five ounce rule of wine that I decided to have tonight. But what the hey, I guess. So my story might be related to Skinwalkers. And I never really put two and two together until listening to your episode on Skinwalkers and also the episode about the hat man when you spoke about sleep paralysis. So this might also include werewolves, question mark. I guess combine all three. (laughs) I guess combine all three and you got me covered. Also, I have no solid proof to provide for this happening. It was just a very strange occurrence. So. I only have my word. Sometime around the first quarter of 2021, maybe March or April, I woke up totally exhausted and out of breath. I had been dreaming about running through the woods as a dog slash wolf. I remember dreaming about other wolves, too, and tearing flesh with my teeth like it was half-melted bloody butter and sprinting through the woods while breathing in the air that smelled like wet leaves and bark. When I think back about it now, I still feel the adrenaline running through my body and the feeling of my muscles contracting as if I was on four legs while running. I also remember the feeling of having paws and gripping the earth with multiple toes. This person is really good at writing. Very descriptive. My my lats and legs were killing me when I woke up. When I woke up to my alarm, it felt I felt exhausted, like I had been awake the whole night getting my ass smoked for doing something stupid. I took my dog outside around 05. It took me a few minutes to realize that even though it was dark and the sun was about an hour or two from breaching the skyline, the loom was still pretty damn good. I could see everything clearly with superb detail, and I could almost define the separate droplets of dew on the grass blades. Even that was weird, because sometimes right after waking up or before bed, I need my glasses to help me see details. Anyways, I looked up and saw what appeared to be a full moon. The revelation scared the bejesus out of me. I didn't believe it at first, so I decided to Google if it was a full moon or just close to being one. It turns out it was, in fact, a full moon that night I had that dream. I haven't had a wolf dream since then, but how coincidental is it to have that dream and I didn't even know it was a full moon? I've always been partial to Native American spiritual beliefs and ancient gods. I've heard the term skinwalkers before, but didn't know the details before listening to y'all's episode on it. I've also had sleep paralysis in the past when I wake up just enough to be able to hear my old college roommates talking, but I couldn't get my body to move. Plus, I couldn't even tell you how many times I've had deja vu dreams uh, from the past. There have been times when I start to get deja vu and I can predict the next few seconds because I remember them from my dreams. This weird dream experience isn't my first paranormal experience, but it is the most unique one. So I wanted to share this. I'm curious if anyone else has ever had a similar dream experience or there could be some paranormal culture within werewolves and dreams. I'm just hoping I haven't been turned into a skinwalker at night, you know? Anyways, I'm excited about the podcast and I hope it continues to gain traction as it grows. Also, I know this isn't technically a military-related story or anything since it didn't happen on, in training or on an installation. For background, I'm 68 Whiskey right now on the path to becoming a nurse, so hopefully that's good enough. Take care, guys. 
Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> well, he or she was a very good writer. Yeah. That was cool. Also, like, I don't know. That's really interesting. But she might, he or she might be a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. Like, I, I'm wondering, like, I, I don't know who this person is. Um, but maybe, like, maybe they, there's something, to, maybe past life, maybe, like, I don't know. This was interesting. This is the first time I read it, so. I didn't get Skinwalker vibes from it, though. Did you? Um, I don't know, because, well, because Skinwalkers can turn into, like, wolves, but it also, I guess it depends on, in the dream, did she have a pelt? Like, I don't know. Mm, follow on questions. Follow on questions. Well, at least, uh, at least she wasn't a hamster. Oh, no. <laughs> um, sorry, I just had to throw that one in there. One, one for the at podcast least- episode. <laughs> Hey, at least one. <laughs> oh, well, that is all that I have. Please, uh, anyone else else out there that's listening who's got some cool dream stories or weird, unexplained things that you've seen, you can go ahead and write to us at departmentofthedead2022 at gmail.com. Link in the show notes as well. And you can always DM us, too. Yeah, you can always DM us. We'll just copy paste it into the drive. It's totally fine. Email is the, preferred though for it's just easier. This, yeah, the stories got you. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I got too. And yeah, you look what, like you're about to pass out. I just don't. Yeah, I'm just. Uh, yeah, I'm fine. You're out in the sun all day. It's okay. Yes, that's it. But yeah, freaking. Do we know what we're covering next? Have we talked about that? Uh, I believe Tails will be back next week. Um, he said next weekend. Is the high possibility. So. All right. Sweet. A long weekend. Woo! Labor Day. I don't know anymore. Uh, as long as I have off. I think right. it's 22. I think oh, it's... Sorry, we're still... <laughs> I don't fucking know. I don't know. Um, but, yeah. Love you guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Stay spooky. Stay spooky. Sorry, I took your line from you. Oh, you're good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Uh, oh, bye, Death Whistle. <laughs> okay, bye. I think I might.